Welcome back to Third Wave Urbanism, the podcast where we confront the challenges facing our ever-changing cities. Again, I'm Kristen Jeffers. I'm here again with Katrina Johnston Zimmerman. Hello. Hi, Katrina. <laughs> Hi, Kristen. And we are excited today to have three guests with us from Perkins and Will, the uh, multinational design uh, agency, and they're here to talk with us today specifically about what happens on the company side when companies decide to talk about and think about diversity, inclusion, and um, engagement. And specifically, they're going to be talking with us about their um, outreach to HBCUs, also challenges specifically with um, African-American planners, as well as other communities of color. Um, I have the pleasure of introducing to you Gabrielle Bullock, who's a principal at Perkins and Will and oversees this, the Perkins and Will Diversity, Inclusion, and Engagement Program. Uh, Kevin Holland's a senior associate and is also on the Dean's at Architecture Advisory Board at Tuskegee University and also helped set up a visiting scholar program that our third guest, Nick Syrup is um, who is also a design associate at Perkins and Will and also was on campus with the students um, at Tuskegee University um, back in September. I guess, Gabrielle, if you want to start and talk about the roots of what this program looks like, what made Perkins and Will globally decide that this is imperative that you prioritize diversity and also just some of the things that overarching that you've been doing. Thank you, um, Kristen. So as architects um, working all over the world, we recognize that our profession should mirror the societies that we serve. And historically, it has not. Um, we believe that it's more of an imperative today because of the demographics of our country are changing uh, drastically in the not so distant future. The population will be more diverse than it is today. Um, mm -hmm. So we've embraced this notion of fostering a more diverse and inclusive and engaged practice across the firm about four years ago in 2013, where we developed a strategy, a structure, a mission statement and goals for, for building a, a practice that mirrors our, our communities that we serve. And so there are several goals. And in, it's we're advocates for not only the firm, but the profession, mm -hmm. right? And so we share our strategies. Um, we um, talk to other firms, other organizations, IIDA, the AIA. Um, so we're, we're, we're willing to be the, uh, the vocal advocate. Um, and so specifically to the um, HBCU outreach, one of the biggest challenges is how do you build the pipeline for future architects? And historically, uh, Black and Hispanic children don't have as much awareness for the profession. Um, and so how do we reach as early as middle school and then all the way up through the HBCUs where there are students and um, and how do we partner with those schools to provide those students information um, and, and mentorship on how to work with firms like Perkins and Will? And so I think uh, Nick's participation in the Visiting Scholar 
was um, a tremendous success and very impactful on doing just that. Um, I could share a little bit with you about how the Tuskegee program came about, um, if you like. Yeah. We, our um, Atlanta office, on their own several years ago, approached Tuskegee, their close, um, and did a one-day mentoring program for about 20 students who come to the office. We, they did um, re uh, portfolio review, resume review, uh, showed some projects and so really um, gave the students the opportunity to see Perkins and Will in a day and how a yeah. firm like ours, a design firm, um, does business and, um, and creates fabulous architecture. And from there, the, the deans of the seven HBCU architectural schools reached out to me wanting me to come meet with them to figure out a more formalized approach to expanding the program. And so I met with them last spring, laid out um, an approach. Uh, and so we plan on continuing that one day, um, a day in the life at Perkins and Will for students and, and expand it across all seven of the HBC schools. And so we're still in the planning processes of um, how to expand it, but the intent is to have a long-term relationship with the HBCUs. I have to say, yeah, so thank you all again for, for being here. Um, I, I had no idea that this program existed, and I... I'm actually not even sure about other architecture firms in terms of whether they have similar programs or uh, even just similar individuals uh, in charge of encouraging diversity and inclusion in architecture. Um, but I uh, I was really impressed with what, what seems like quite a lot of legwork on, on your side for a private company in order to conduct this kind of outreach to student populations. So I was wondering if maybe you could talk a bit about um, not only sort of the, the reflective nature and the, the personal initiative that you had, Gabrielle, but also uh, maybe just the company-wide decision-making process that allowed this to um, take place. Mm -hmm. So Perkins & Will um, is a, an organization whose culture is if you have a passion for something um, and you can demonstrate the business case for it, the cultural benefit for it, there's a lot of support, you know, design That's excellence great. has been um, a core value and a strategy that is important to our success, as is sustainability. We were one of the first firms to really embrace um, sustainability and the lead process early on, as with social responsibility. And so diversity um, and each one of those programs um, or strategies were started with an individual who is in incredibly passionate about it. Mm -hmm. um, and so the same thing happened with diversity. I happened to be that one who was <laughs> very passionate about it and presented um, a strategy and approach that was um, accepted immediately. So I think that, you know, if, if I were talking to other firms, I would say, um, go for it. If it's a core yeah. value, you see the benefit. It's not just the right thing to do. There is a business case advantage. Um, the more um, diverse and engaged your organization, the more profitable you are, the more creative you are, your design solutions are, are better. I mean, there's 
proven um, research in that area. And so mm -hmm. it wasn't terribly difficult. Yes, it is a lot of work. Um, it's a lot of work to get and maintain the momentum. Um, I'll also have to add that it is a funded um, strategy, right? Mm. So um, 40 to 50% of my time is devoted to um, maintaining the strategy and driving um, the program. Yeah, it's really it's really important that they are funding your position. I find that there are when we talk about doing uh, diversity, inclusion, engagement initiatives like this, it's often, oh, well, we're just going to maybe pull in one employee or unfortunately, it's usually the employee of color who is possibly trying to get their footing in the profession. And again, architecture itself has a lot of just uh, norms and rules that deal with specifically with design that you have to learn and it takes years of practice to learn. And of course, that's after you've uh, gotten through school and twice and gotten through juries and thinking about all those challenges. So I really commend that uh, Perkins and Will has actually said we're going to not only take a look at our strategies, but we're going to have someone who's going to take a look at our strategies. That's going to be part of our business model. We're going to make sure this person has adequate compensation to spend the time to do the due diligence that needs to be done with these programs. Right. And, and you know, to add to that, um, I just need to emphasize that our uh, approach to diversity is not just on a um, racial diversity, it's gender. Mm -hmm. It's generational, you know. There, there's it's LGBTQ. It's all of that. And so, how do we um, create a culture where everybody can bring their whole selves to work, right? So that's mm -hmm. the engagement part. Um, so <clears throat> I just want to say that it's 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 very broad. Yeah, definitely. I would like to talk a little bit about the visiting scholar program as well. It sounds like this is like the next step to uh, encouraging the diversity and, and inclusion and engagement, um, ensuring that students themselves understand uh, how best to position themselves in this field, um, also can see other people like them working in the field so that way they uh, understand it more fully and that they feel encouraged to get there. So um, I would love to hear more about what exactly that intensive two-week uh, program entails and what it was like working at Tuskegee? Well, as the initial distinguished visiting scholar, I can take a pass at answering that. Congrats. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, since this was the first time that we've uh, attempted this, in some ways we were learning, both Perkins and Will and Tuskegee University were, were testing an approach. And uh, by and large, I think it was successful from both our perspectives. Mm -hmm. um, the, the two-week intensive period was held in the fall, in September. So it was still at an early stage in the design studios. Students had started on their projects but hadn't gotten too far into them. So there was the opportunity for me to meet with each of the design studios, which I did, uh, and offer a different perspective and a different way of looking at architecture from what they were hearing from their instructors. It wasn't too far down the road where ideas were etched in stone. So I think from a timing perspective, it worked out very well. The way we structured it was I gave two lectures during that period of time 
which were focused on two issues that the dean, Carla Bell, had already identified needed some support. And they had to do with pre-design. So that involves hmm. site analysis and site design and programming, kind of putting together the DNA of a project before you actually embark on a design. And so I, using real-world examples from our practice in Los Angeles, I developed two lectures. One was focused on the King's College Hospital in Dubai, which we had uh, recently completed. And another was based on the Metropolitan Division for the Los Angeles Police Department, another project uh, that we had just completed, which I, I will give a shameless plug, is winning a National Design Award this weekend. Excellent. <laughs> um, and so through the use of these case studies, uh, which by and large are successful, I was able to kind of do a deep dive into each of those projects, focusing on those, those specific issues. I will mention that uh, Tuskegee this year was going through their NAB accreditation visit, which is mm -hmm. the accreditation board for architecture schools, and is a period of shall I say, um, intense anxiety on the part of the <laughs> faculty and administration. And so fortunately, the timing worked out really well that I was also able to work directly with them on giving them a second eye on the materials that they were preparing for the NAB visit. They had a huge room, uh, all filled with projects representing the work from all of the different studios and seminars. And so I went through all of that work, each project, and offered advice about the way it was being presented and the material that was being presented. And some cases are stronger than others and helped them shape their approach, which was already very well formed um, into what they finally presented a few weeks after I left. Wow. So there, there was lecturing, there was working on kind of the NAB accreditation visit. And then I worked with design students in each of the design studios, primarily the second, third, and fourth year design studios, and with the fifth year pre-thesis. Uh, the first semester is spent identifying a project that the student is interested in and gathering information about it, and then the second semester is used to develop that into a design proposal. And so this was the first semester where they were exploring the type of project they wanted to develop and then gathering the information on them. And I think perhaps there was my first kind of insight into how different the students think <laughs> in at Tuskegee, because the projects that the students were identifying were all solidly based on some aspect of social relevance. Hmm. And that, that became apparent the first day. And then as I started working with the design studios, it was driven home that the projects that the faculty were giving were very different than the kinds of projects that we're used to seeing in other architecture schools. Hmm. They're, they're absolutely driven by a sense of social purpose and equity. And you don't hear anything about the building as an object or... Mm -hmm. A, an emphasis on form making for form's sake alone. They all have something much more deeply personal and important to the students. And yeah. so that was, 
that was one of the first kind of epiphanies that I had uh, that was that made the experience so meaningful to me that, you know, here's an architecture school and I've gone to architecture school and the way they're teaching it is very different than what I studied and what I know is being taught in the architecture schools around Los Angeles. Yeah. So I was going to ask out of curiosity, I know that um, this is a little bit more of a, a gender thing. I'm really glad that you mentioned that, Gabrielle, as well, talking about the differences between, um, you know, sort of what some people consider diversity and and sort of running the gambit of all of these differences in, in individuals that are out there um, and how complex that is, but also how important that is. And I, I have a tendency to talk more with young women um, just in part because of this podcast, but also because of um, a side project that I'm working on, too. And I talk to a lot of young architects um, who are either in school or coming out of school and going into the field. And a lot of them just feel a bit, you know, disoriented in terms of um, like the lack of social focus when they get into a regular architecture firm and uh, or even in school, you know, this lack of um, maybe like a sort of a a holistic take on the building itself and the space around and the people that are going to be occupying it. Um, they want something more and they they really emphasize this, this social aspect to it. So it's really interesting to hear you say that. And I was wondering if your experience in these this college environment would also in some ways, you know, impact your practice and the way that you, um, you know, run an architecture firm um, because of uh, the way that the students may be coming in or thinking a bit differently about the field. I think that is absolutely happening with Perkins and Will in Los Angeles. And Kevin and Gabrielle can speak a little bit about some of the work that we are taking on uh, that is directly relevant to that. Yes. we. Um, well, first of all, I would say that the um, emerging professionals coming out of school, they are absolutely interested in not just an iconic building design, they're interested in working on projects that engage the community, that are of the community, um, regardless mm -hmm. of what the community is. It's, it's, it's much more all-encompassing and not um, just that starchitect um, path. Mm -hmm. So I see that changing all over. So we're currently working on a project currently it's called destination crenshaw which is a mile long stretch along crenshaw where the new subway line comes up at grade and it's going to be an open air museum celebrating the culture of that area and the importance of the cultural aspect um, sussing out the stories and the history of that area is very important to the client and the stakeholders and in our presentations yesterday it was clear that there was um, a match between our team and the client and I will say we mirrored the community um, not only yeah. not only in ethnicity but um, we had the same sensibilities about the importance of what needed to happen there to celebrate a community. That's great. Yeah, I am. I'm just been listening to kind of the process that you've taken. Uh, again, it's great that you're mentioning again that you're. This is a um, an effort to think about all uh, all types of other people. the The thing is, though, I've I've noticed sort of in my experience and in my practice again, you 
oftentimes when we do programs and you know it's easy to kind of zero in on obvious areas where there are, are different types of people like again the fact that we have historically black colleges and universities and several of architecture programs is a very easy place to get started with an initiative uh, do you have sort of a lens to the fact that you may find diversity in I wouldn't necessarily say unexpected areas but you know if you're just looking at sort of places that are clearly different than what your norm has been at Perkins and Will are you are you receptive are you looking at the fact that there may be uh, black students at traditionally white institutions also um, just with thinking about and getting people involved and helping people understand what the difference is between what what the, a person will eventually become an architect or an architectural designer is and just you know an urban designer and engaging people in the the entire sort of organic conversation of creating places sure um well i would say that we you know the our approach to the historically black black colleges is one area of our focus the other is so we try to revamp our recruiting processes and our recruiting teams to go to um, schools and college fairs that we didn't typically go to before. Um, and so that we send um, some more younger people and people mm -hmm. of varied um, disciplines, interiors, architecture, urban design, um, of all levels and to try and represent all of the students that we might come across so that there is a, um, a wide range of, you know, someone could, could see themselves at Perkins and Will. Um, yeah. In terms, of, I, I do want to make point that, so our intense outreach to Black and Hispanic students is because that is the smallest population of the architectural profession. Women mm -hmm. are on the increase. It's almost 50-50 going into architecture school. The challenge there is how do we keep them in the profession? So that's where the focus yeah. of, um, of programs within the firm, affinity groups, um, uh, paying attention to career advancement, that there is, um, that it's equitable and that nobody gets left behind. Right. Mm -hmm. I wonder if maybe you could also um, describe some of those statistics, because quite frankly, I, I actually f I found this shocking. I know that um, I probably shouldn't find it shocking, um, perhaps. But the the one that really stood out to me was that 02 percent of architects are actually uh, female Af African-American licensed architects practicing in the field. That That's such an incredibly small number. So I I certainly understand your focus in that area. Yes, and so there's there's 407 to be precise. <laughs> really? Oh my gosh! <laughs> and two two of them oh. work for Perkins and Will. Um, there you go. Okay. And there are about <laughs> 1,700 um, African American men licensed <clears throat> architects in the country. Out of I don't know what is there like wow. 85,000. 85,000 in in general wow. in in the country. So. If you look at that statistic and the statistics of, um, of the general population, the demographics are changing. 
And so Mm -hmm. we think in order to be relevant, we must um, do what we can to change um, that trend. And and it's it's working. Mm -hmm. So I don't have the exact statistic, but more women, more more African-Americans, more Hispanics are entering um, architecture school. They're probably just at the beginning, so we won't see them in the... Um, in the profession for a few years. Um, the AIA student um, membership is growing in both those areas. Uh, so the trend is going in the right way. I think firms like Perkins and Will and others who are having this conversation around diversity in our profession um, is helping. We just have to keep on um, making it a priority. Mm-hmm. So how do you suggest also going um, about improving the representation at the top, too? Absolutely. I know that sometimes that is also a criticism that I hear from a lot of young women, you know, just not not seeing women, for instance, at the top, let alone um, uh, an African-American woman. And so uh, what sort of suggestions or what plans do you have as a part of your program to improve that situation? So um, we, in order to track progress and our strategy, we have to measure, right? So... Our Leadership Mm -hmm. Institute, for instance, Um, it's a select group of about 16 to 20 um, emerging professionals across the firm that are nominated and apply for uh, a position in the Leadership Institute, which is a year-long mentoring career development program for future leaders. We Mm -hmm. make sure that we look at that program through the diversity lens. We look at our... Uh, principal, associate principal, senior associate, the leadership program um, through that lens, and we track the metrics on an annual basis. So mm-hmm. it's it's never a surprise. And when we, we see something that um, we think should be addressed, then then we raise the issue. Um, so it's it's like any other uh, metrics of our success, profitability design, sustainability, and diversity. Definitely. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, it sounds good. And again, when you're when you're in a corporate environment measurement, you do, and even in an academic environment, oftentimes you do have the burden of measuring in a lot of ways. And again, you have to be able to prove the business case. And that sounds like just sort of how things work at Perkins and Will. And, you know, as someone who's worked inside of a firm, not in a designer role, but definitely in a support role, I definitely appreciate that you are working to standardize what you're mm-hmm. doing and really working on packaging what you're doing. Uh, do, like, again, Perkins and Will, um, I'm as I'm aware, and I'm sure a lot of folks are aware, you guys have a multitude of offices. You have principals, many that were um, potentially solo practitioners at one point, but have come on board. There are other um, associate firms that are under the Perkins and Will family that may not be apparent like from the get go, but they are part of the Perkins and Will family. Uh, you know, how do you balance the challenge of making sure that firms that are in the Perkins and Will umbrella? You know, in addition to just global challenges and different language, language and custom barriers that you have already overcome to be like a cohesive mm-hmm. firm, how do you balance 
your work with just the natural work of balancing a firm of many with many different offices and many different subsidiaries and also many different design principles working together and having different approaches to just design mm -hmm. in general. So Nick, you could probably touch on the design, um, but I just want to talk about the culture of bringing in these firms that become um, part of Perkins and Will. Um, there's, so we approach each office differently. Every office doesn't have the same um, cultural challenges based on region. And that's true for firms that, that join Perkins and Will. So we, um, I will meet with them and their group and um, share with them what our approach is, what the strategy is. And they're many times uh, thankful and, oh my God, I can't believe you guys do this. How can I get involved? <laughs> really? Because it's <laughs> good for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. We have a rich um, culture and people. It could be richer. It could be more diverse. It could be more inclusive, right? And so who doesn't want that? It's, it's a matter of how do you, um, how is it, how are your strategies working to make sure that um, that it that it remains cohesive. So it's not been a problem. It's a challenge because we're large. Um, but again, it just takes focus. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that every large office, every global practice like Perkins and Will, has similar challenges and are, are finding strategies for dealing with them. Being a design principal for the last eighteen years, I I can speak to how we're addressing it from a design perspective. And we have what's called the Design Leadership Council, which is comprised of all of the design directors and design principals in all of our offices. And we get together twice a year at, in one of our offices and review work. We network with one another. We strategize about ways to continually raise the bar. And we get to know how each one of us are doing and we learn lessons from each other. As a matter of fact, one of the offshoots of the Design Leadership Council is what I'm doing today. I'm in our Dallas office and I'm part of a workshop which is reviewing the work of the Dallas office. I'm here with five of my contemporaries from Miami and Atlanta and Chicago and we do this regularly. And part of the benefit of that is it continually raises the bar of design excellence, number one, but it also starts to instill a sense of culture, our shared values and what drives us. And Gabrielle touched on those. They include sustainability, they include social responsibility, diversity aspects that we're talking about today, and ultimately how that all translates into doing better buildings and spaces for our clients. Mm -hmm. That's excellent. I was also wondering if you could speak specifically to advice that you have for young people coming into um, the field of architecture and sort of, you know, any any kind of tips you can give them on how best to um, work through their, their schooling while they have, you know, the time to do so, you know, things they should focus on or, um, you know, what they should look for in a company if it's not if it's not Perkins and Will. <laughs> Well, I, I have just one simple um, s statement to that um, perspective 
students who are, who are going looking for a, a position in a firm interview the firm the same way the firm is going to interview you. Uh-huh. So yeah. What's what's yeah. critical is the match, <laughs> the fit, and longevity. And even though I know the statistics are today that young graduates will have 18 jobs in their career, which is something that we did not <laughs> do, but but you, you want to be you want it to be fruitful, enjoyable, and productive. Um, and so, not every firm is the same. I would echo that. There are many, many paths through architecture. And there is the room for each individual to find the one that resonates with them. So working for a small office, you'll get one set of responsibilities and opportunities. Working for a large multinational firm, you'll get a very different set. It's not to say one is the right way and one is the wrong way. They're all opportunities. So I think allowing each person to find the one that's best for them is a natural uh, part of the architectural experience. So we haven't heard from Kevin. Do you want? <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry, Kevin. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking about that. That's quite all right. That's quite all right. I understand. The interview was going well. But yeah, definitely, Kevin, why don't you just kind of talk about your role in the project as well and just kind of where you where where you fit into this puzzle of Perkins and Will and building this sort of renewed renewed focus on making sure everybody is at the table. Sure, sure. Um, well, if I if I can digress slightly and 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 go back to uh, Tuskegee uh, very briefly. Um, sure, absolutely. Yes, I've. Um, it, it's great knowing that Perkins and Will has had. The relationship with uh, Tuskegee, but fortunately, we've been able to sort of take a 360-degree approach in that relationship, uh, because unbeknownst to me, 10 years ago, uh, that Perkins and Will was establishing this relationship. At the same time, um, I had the pleasure of meeting uh, um, uh, Carla Jackson Bell, who is now the dean at um, at Tuskegee, and so our relationship goes back to well over 10 years through the uh, National Organization of Minority Architects. Mm-hmm. When uh, Dean Dean Jackson Bell was hired at Tuskegee, actually, when I met her, she was an advisor at Tuskegee. Uh, she left, went to Auburn, and then Tuskegee brought her back uh, in her current position as dean. I believe that was either 2015 or 2016. Um, but prior to that, she asked me if I would serve on her uh, dean's advisory board, which I accepted. Um, the, our first meeting was in April, or my first meeting rather, was in April of uh, this year, and she gave me the challenge of finding an um, instructor for her thesis studio. So that was in April, and the challenge was to find this person by, by fall semester. So in my current role here, in, here at Perkins & Will in Los Angeles, I'm also the uh, director of operations. And so labor and expenses fall under fall under my purview. So it was sort of a perfect perfect storm. Uh, we have uh, Gabrielle who was able to successfully advocate on behalf of diversity, uh, which Perkins and Will took the took the mantle. Uh, we have uh, Nick Sarb who was uh, very instrumental, obviously, in teaching the course. But Nick also had to be willing and 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 available. Uh, and then in my position, I was able to bridge the two. The, uh, the need of the university with 
uh, Nick Syrup's uh, availability and willingness uh, to um, to teach the uh, to teach the course at Tuskegee, which the LA office agreed to uh, to subsidize and financially support. So so that's sort of how we got to sort of how we got from Tuskegee to uh, to Nick. Um, and so my part, I think it's a pretty small part, but um, but I'm glad that I was able to even serve in that in that small role because the the credit goes to um, Gabrielle and Perkins and Will and having having the uh, the desire to pursue uh, inclusion and diversity, and then also to uh, to uh, Nick Syrup to agree to uh, go to Tuskegee and fulfill a huge need of theirs. Yeah, that all sounds great. And again, it's it's key to what I'm hearing here is that despite the fact that you're such a large firm and you can people can get lost in large firms sometimes, even if even outside of say architecture just in general, like a larger business, sometimes you can get lost as like an individual, but when I say uh, companies are serious about diversity and inclusion initiatives, if anybody they have the income that says, okay, we can we can divert our resources, we're billing these clients, and we can take those client initiatives and we can turn them into supporting a a design process and supporting a way of thinking and you know really strengthening the profession and making sure all kinds of people have the opportunity to take part in the design professions and I, I think that's vital and so even though it seems like there's a it's a it's a growing at least the student part of it is growing but again the word gets around about which firms are true to their commitment to yes. diversity and inclusion. Absolutely. The word gets around about, you know, who is who's where and who's affiliated with whom. So again, that's also helpful to see. And again, there's also challenges, even in the best intentions. And it sounds like you all are really working hard to not only establish relationships but also evaluate the relationships that you're doing absolutely and create absolutely yeah and you know this is um it is a journey and not a sprint there's a a famous statue at the center of the tuskegee university sort of ground zero around which the campus starts to spread and it's a statue of Booker T. Washington, who is the one of the towering figures in Tuskegee history. He's the first president and worked the better part of his career to build that university. He was born into slavery, but educated himself and became an incredibly powerful orator and one who could be relied on to make something happen. This statue shows is called Lifting the Veil. And it shows him pulling the pulling a, a shroud off of a, a slave and encouraging him to rise through hard work to a better life. And I think it's symbolic of what's going on at Tuskegee and in the architecture program there. It certainly is the spirit of what they're trying to create. It's an education which focuses on hard work and understanding the relationship between construction and design. And it's imbued with this sense of social purpose and equity. 
And all of those are directly in line with Perkins and Will values and goals. So it's so far, it's a great relationship and we're looking forward to it continuing in the future. That's great. Thank you for, again, bringing up just the history of the Tuskegee University and how it was created and the, the commitment of its founder. Often in a lot of conversations, especially around just amplifying and um, sharing the history and the legacy of Black American architects, is his the, the history and the legacy of the school was definitely brought up because there was definitely a uh, an architectural vernacular that was created at Tuskegee, in and around Tuskegee. There was a lot of self-determination. There was a lot of uh, proof that really when people are given a chance, uh, people can pretty much do anything. You know, it's just, you know, making sure the structural barriers aren't there, making sure people aren't pushed down. Of course, I, I can't not mention that, you know, um, Booker T. Washington does remain somewhat sometimes of a controversial figure, at least as how some of his values uh, parlayed out into fields outside of design and architecture. But as a legacy of teaching people how to build and creating building practices and creating a black uh, architectural vernacular, you know, there's really... Um, He's really one of the greater examples of that particular thing happening. And again, as, as Perkins and Will, as a, one of the major modern architectural firms in the in the in the world, you know, stepping up and saying this is going to be one of our first partnerships. This is a place we're going to prioritize. We're going to make sure that people know this history. And again, people listening to this episode will be aware of this history. I, I think that's wonderful. And again, thanks for bringing that up. Well, I do think. Um... From an architectural perspective, the, the history of Tuskegee swirls around three individuals, Booker T. Washington being obviously one, George Washington mm -hmm. Barber, who's the great kind of humanitarian and scientist who spent most of his research time on the campus, and Robert Taylor, who is the architect who designed the legacy buildings which are on the campus now, and first black architect graduate from the MIT School of I think any conversation about Tuskegee would be remiss without at least touching on those three mm -hmm. giants whose spirits still walk the halls and the grounds there. I, I do want to touch on the projects that are being focused on because I think they're unique. The fourth year project is a NOMA competition, the National Organization of Minority Architects which is focused on a suburb south of Houston called Sunnyside, mm -hmm. which was a historically black residential community, which became used as a dumping ground uh, for decades. And the project now is a proposal for renewal, rebirth, and memory of, of history in re remaking that part of the third year project is a similar look uh, at an urban site in Birmingham, looking at the Sloss Furnaces, which were a, an integral part of the history and financial development of that part of the South, making mm -hmm. steel. Steel industry went somewhere else, and this became a decaying part of the city. So that studio is focused on how can we remedy urbanistically this important part of history and the city. But perhaps the most powerful is the second year design student, 
these are students that have only been in architecture for one year. <laughs> the design project which was given to them is a memorial to lynching in the United States. Mm. And the archives for lynching reside at Tuskegee University. Wow. So obviously these are very charged projects that the students are, are being presented and that they're grappling with as they're finding their own path to work. So it's been a really, I think, interesting experience for the students there to hear from me because I do represent a very different path through architecture and perspective and my own history and for me to learn from them. Excellent. So what is next for um, this Visiting Scholars Program? Is it going to be returning to Tuskegee uh, at a certain time or the same thing next year? Or um, what other, what, what's the next steps for the program with other partnerships and so forth? Well, we certainly want to, um, con to continue doing it um, at Tuskegee and perhaps broaden it to the other schools. So we're going to spend some time figuring out how to formalize it. And um, so that it is a uh, longstanding uh, partnership and event. Great. To be continued. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do think what you all are doing is a, a great start. Again, I appreciate that you mentioned that it's a journey. And I also appreciate that you decided to come and join myself and Katrina and, uh, this afternoon and talk with us for this episode. Yes, thank you. Thank you, and thanks for, for making this a uh, uh, highlight of your show. It's been a pleasure. Yes, thank you. Excellent. Thank you so much. Yes. We will put information about this, uh, the Perkins and Will and these efforts in our show notes if you want to learn more about specifically what Perkins and Will is doing to increase diversity, more about the Tuskegee Studios and Tuskegee uh, program, and, of course, similar efforts with other HBCUs. Yeah, I, I'm so glad those guys reached out to us. Um, I really had no idea that something like that existed in an architecture program. So um, it's, it's just it's so encouraging, actually, to hear more about, you know, what large firms are doing as opposed to smaller ones. My hope is that as all these entities are making changes, we also include people who are from these marginalized groups at the table and also and keep in mind different vernaculars and design practices and how our lived experience affects them. Yeah. Well, so um, we'll be around with our next regular episode next week. Um, and in the meantime, you can head over to thirdwaveurbanism.com for, uh, for all of those links, more information about their uh, programs, maybe um, ways in which you can replicate it in your own firm even. Let's, you know, change the culture on that. That would be fantastic. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can find us on Twitter at Third Wave Urban. We're also on Facebook. And I'm think underscore Katrina on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Black Urbanist. And I'm also Twitter and Instagram. And, again, we look forward to seeing you um, either virtually or in person sometime soon. And, of course, Katrina it's always great. So yeah, see you next week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, yes, let's do it. All right. <laughs> yes. Cool. Done. <laughs>